Hi, welcome to More Life, the Reentry Podcast, a podcast about offender reentry reform and advocacy. I'm your host, Vinkivia Garner. Thank you for joining me today. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about homelessness within the criminal justice system and how that can impact the reentry process for individuals that are coming out of the system. Um, and even just talking about some housing concerns and the challenges of those. So with me today is Dr. Stephen Matro, who is a recognized expert on housing and homelessness. Um, he has pioneered work using administrative and survey data to assess housing outcomes um, on how people experiencing homelessness use services in the mental health, criminal justice, child welfare, healthcare, and veteran systems, and how receiving housing and related services uh, interventions impacts the lives of formerly homeless households. Um, Dr. Matro also works extensively with various homeless service providers in Delaware and Philadelphia, and he sits on the board of the Delaware Statewide Homeless Continuum of Care. So More Life is very appreciative of Dr. Matro to come on and talk about these topics with us and share his expertise as we really look forward to sharing this with our audience. All right. Thank you for having me, Minkibia. I guess, uh, Dr. Matro, um, well, Mr. Steve, if you don't mind, just sharing a little bit about, you know, your inspiration um, behind your work, what kind of got you started into this before we go, like, into our conversation. Sure. A um, little bit about me. My, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm an academic. I've been in academia for, ooh, couple of decades now, longer than I care to think about, and um, and been focusing on homelessness before that. I did some organizing, did some services work um, back in ooh, the, like the late 80s, early mid 90s. Um, back, and I like to tell this to my students, is that, you know, back in those days, homelessness, kind of homelessness as we know it, was kind of just was still new. This was like during and towards the end of the Reagan era and, you know, where seeing people on the streets, um, having homeless shelters in most cities, having encampments, this was something that was new, that was strange, that was troubling, and that was also kind of seen as temporary. And I was getting out of college back then. The issue, the, the topic, and more than just the topic, the people also really kind of just really interested me in getting to know them and listening to them, um, you know, listening to their stories and getting involved trying to stop this. And so that's kind of where my my roots were. And then at some point, so, I, you know, just getting, wanting to do something more than direct services and went back to grad school, got a PhD in sociology, mainly because I knew I wanted to study homelessness, figured that was kind of the best avenue to do that. And so um, kind of been following with homelessness. And so, like I said, just so when I teach students and I like to point out, especially now that one of the differences between my life experience and their life experiences, I remember a time when, I mean, there's always been homelessness, but not homelessness like we know it now. And there's also kind of this idea that we that there can be an end to this as well, where with students now, and, you know, again, I kind of, you know, I stay the same age and every year they get a year younger or a year kind of a year further apart from me and they you know this is kind of something that's always been on their landscape many of them have you know on their applications that they volunteered in shelters or soup kitchens or otherwise have had some contact with homelessness and you know I like to remind them that there is the you know that to have this vision where we can once again go back to a time where it ends but um you know, we're not so much here to talk about homelessness than to talk about reentry, which is a different but overlapping phenomenon, which it's hard to study homelessness without getting involved in reentry. I mean, the one thing about homelessness is it touches on so many other different social issues. So, you know, I, you know, mental health and substance abuse is something that, always, you know, people are very aware of. Um, you know, reentry is also up there, but people aren't as aware of the connection. There's also connections between like child welfare and the foster care system. 
system and when like you know people age out of um the foster care system they're at higher risk for homelessness veterans is something that i've done a lot of work on and looking at when people get out of the military especially when people have been in combat zones and get out of the military and then they're they are kind of at increased risk for homelessness and there's an overlap between those two and so it's a very broad topic and allows me to kind of explore various areas and I've also you know and I've, and that's how I kind of got involved with looking at reentry and um as one of kind of the not only the feeders into homelessness but also it's kind of has a has a cyclical effect so not only does getting out of jail or getting out of prison put you at higher risk for homelessness but also there is this kind of criminalization of homelessness which i can talk about a bit too where being homeless puts you at a higher risk of then ending up being incarcerated so you have incarceration homelessness going around and around and that just you know, for some people doesn't stop and it gets more and more difficult. And then you get into certain populations and especially sex offenders, then that gets very, very in acute to where, you know, when sex offenders get out, there's really the the housing options for them are very constricted by restrictions on where they can live. And it's a population nobody wants to work with and has very limited options of housing. And so they become homeless and they stay homeless. And that's not really a situation that benefits anybody. So I can talk a bit more about that later if there's interest. Um, I've also kind of did did some work. I've I've done teaching. I'm I'm based in Philadelphia. I teach at the University of Delaware, but I'm based in Philadelphia. And I've done, I've taught classes in prison, kind of a program called Inside Out, where you, which is kind of half, uh, uh, half undergrad students from, um, from the university. And then also um, the other half of the class is people who are incarcerated in the jails here in Philadelphia, who, um, who also, you know, basically take a college class. I've kind of taken it in there. Um, you know, personally, I've, I have not had direct experience with incarceration, but I've had relatives who have had, I've also had people who I've worked with at the past who I've stayed in touch with and one in particular with a severe mental illness who's incarcerated and we stay in touch um, as best we can through telephone and, you know, just basically send them other support because, you know, homeless people too, when they get locked up, you know, they didn't have any resources coming when they were on the street, they don't have any resources in jail. And I think many of the listeners here understand just how difficult it is, how much more difficult it is when you're locked up, when you don't have like, you know, resources for commissary and for other things and, you know, kind of being locked up. And so I try and try and help out a little bit that way. So it's more than just a research interest is what I want to say. Thank you. Yeah, you have a a plethora of experience of things that we can go through. I heard things about, you know, housing concerns related to sex offenders. Also, just like a bigger issue of homelessness and connecting it to reentry. Um, and just like a, a variety of other topics, even child welfare. So I think if we can definitely explore some of those because we really want the audience to understand how homelessness relates to these and all these other different factors that kind of play into it or different subgroups um, like sex offenders would be impacted and um, things like that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and I want to ask you if we could go back to something earlier that you said about homelessness and you mentioned that, you know, years ago, it was something that was very temporary, or it seemed as if it was going to be temporary. But I think now, like you said, nowadays, homelessness is something we see all the time, um, in everywhere. Um, can you kind of like paint the picture for us of like, what give us some numbers of what does this look like, um, homelessness? Or what are, what are we seeing? So um, I'll give you some numbers on homelessness and incarceration. And Again, it's not, it's homelessness is difficult, is a difficult kind of phenomenon to quantify. And I can do a whole podcast just on how and why that is. But, um, and, you know, and I've, I've spent a lot of time trying to, to get numbers. I mean, what we do know, and what nobody really argues is that people getting out of getting out of jails and getting out of prisons are at much higher risk for ending up homeless. And 
So numbers wise, best numbers we have are pretty consistent um, for people getting out of prison, about 11% are going to end up homeless fairly directly as a, as a re after their um, after they've been released. Um, the immediate time after they get released is the most vulnerable period and not only for homelessness, but for a variety of other things. And so, you know, they get out and especially if they've been incarcerated for a while, it's a very, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very um, kind of an extreme adjustment and also for people, for some people, a, a difficult adjustment to get back into, you know, get to, to integrate back on the outside. And, and, you know, and that increases the vulnerability. So, you know, the first year and especially the first couple of months after being released, I mean, a lot of times people get released and, you know, basically um, maybe get a bus ticket and, um, and then they're kind of on their own. Um, most people have some kind of supports family or other people who they can go to. They have a destination to go to on the other end. And that makes a big difference. Um, and, on you know whether or not they're going to have housing when they get back others you know when if people get jobs or have an income through other means that's also going to be um a huge protective factor against becoming homeless but it's those who don't have that um and also i mean probably the best predictor for people who are at highest risk of being homeless are those who had experienced homelessness prior to getting incarcerated so that's kind of one warning sign uh, of course, I think we all know that homelessness, is, there's high rates of mental illness and severe mental illness among people who are in the homeless population. And of course, the prison population, that um, mental illness is also overrepresented there. So you have this kind of an overlap. So people, again, coming out with uh, um, with the severe mental illness, I mean, a lot of times, the they're, a lot of times kind of the, just the F, um, What's it? What's it called? The the post release kind of arrangements. Um, if they don't involve connecting someone with um, with some kind of community services to support their mental health needs, is going to be a problem. Um, a lot of times, you know, these are people come in and they're getting their services through Medicaid, and a lot of times they'll get released and they're um, and they won't be immediately um, connected to Medicaid again, because of course you lose your eligibility once you're incarcerated. So if that's not taken care of ahead of time, then there's this kind of lapse where they need the services, but they don't have anywhere to pay for it. Uh, medications is the same way, getting, you know, connecting their, the medications, if any that they've been take, taken in prison um, is going to be, uh, you know, just getting that continuity is, um, you know, prison, as I think most of the listeners know, is not very conducive to mental health. So if you are, if you do have a mental illness, there's a lot of trauma and other experiences in prison that can exacerbate that. That's the same for homelessness and that. So, you know, that, that increases the possibility. Um, substance use is kind of similar in that um, that's a known risk factor for homelessness that all, that always figures in as kind of, you know, people with substance abuse issues are going to have a harder time with maintaining stable housing. And when we get out of um, prison, that's, that's going to be the same. But so a lot of a lot of connections the numbers around those like i said 11% is kind of a good rule of thumb um you know for those who get out of prison and if you want to compare that you know pretty much depending on circumstances i mean less about 1% or even less of the general population is going to experience homelessness during the course of a year and so it's a much higher um, it's a much higher risk. Also, if you look at it the other way around, you look at a homeless population, especially an unsheltered homeless population, where you know you have um, where you have it's mostly male, it's disproportionately African American, it's um, and um, and also disproportionately without families. Those are also all kind of ways that the two populations overlap. Um, jumping quickly to jails. Jails is, of course, a different dynamic. I mean, people who go to jail will do so for, you know, less serious crimes, um, will 
be, um, you know, be in jail a lot shorter. A lot of times jail stays just last a couple of days or a week or two um, and don't necessarily result in convictions. But uh, so the, the numbers of people who are who come in and out of jail are, of course, a lot higher. And I want to say a couple of million, and I, I should know this number, but I don't, as opposed to people coming out of jail over the course of a year, which is kind of measured in the hundred thousands. I think it's 500,000 people a year, which is still a high number come out of prisons versus several million that come out of jails. So the rates of people who come out of jail who and who then become homeless is less proportionally, but because so many more people experience jail, the 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 number of people who then become homeless after jail stay is higher. Um, jail, even though it's shorter, is also very disruptive. Um, jobs get lost, housing arrangements get lost. Um, you know, it's it's harder to get yourself back on your feet because then you have a record, you have the stigma attached to it. Also, for a lot in the homeless population, there's a revolving door between being homeless and going in jail. I mean, people get picked up for minor offenses, what we call kind of offenses, you know, just crimes of homelessness, things like things like loitering, things like panhandling, and other um, other things, trespassing, and they get they get put in jail and then they get subsequently released. And that all makes it harder for them to get out. You know, they go right back into homelessness and then they have legal issues that make it harder for them to, again, to make a lasting exit out of homelessness. Um, a lot of times too, it's kind of less direct where people will get cited for things like public urination. I mean, they're living on the streets. There's no place for them to, you know, do their business and they, um, you know, and and they get cited for that. Um, public intoxication is a, is another kind of thing like that. Panhandling, where they won't go directly to jail, but they'll get cited, and then um, oftentimes they don't have the money to pay fines. They're um, not able to make court appearances, and then so these citations turn into warrants, which then um, when they come into contact with police, which happens all the time, especially in larger cities and downtown areas. Um, and so, you know, not even necessarily for anything they're doing illegally, um, you know, a, a check will show that they have warrants and they end up in jail. Um, again, this is not only detrimental to the people, it also really clogs up the system. It's expensive. It's it, and it doesn't do any good. And it kind of feeds into this this um, kind of revolving door kind of process between homelessness and um and the criminal justice system, which, like I said, benefits, really benefits no one. And um, yet it kind of keeps on going. Yes, that that, that was great. Um, and uh, I guess one of my questions that I have for you is when you, you said 11% um, and you talked about a lot, you talked about a lot of the experiences from what I heard of, is not just people coming out of prison that are going to be homeless, but also people who are homeless that are going to encounter police or the criminal justice system themselves. Um, so there's kind of like a two-way thing going on here. Is that accurate? Yeah, I can talk a little bit more about that. Um, there's a criminalization of homelessness. There's a group called the National um, Homelessness Law Center, which has a... Um, which has a report that they come out called "Housing Without Han Housing Not Handcuffs," which you know you can Google either the the National Homelessness Law Center or "Housing Without Handcuffs," and you can get um, a copy of that report pretty quickly. That goes into detail about how a lot of localities, in effect, make homelessness a crime. I mean, they don't they don't out and out say homelessness is against the law, but what they'll do is they'll take things such as um, panhandling is. Um, which is something that's, you know, that's a constitutionally protected um, free, part of free speech, and but they will make it illegal to go and ask for money, or there's, like, you know, um, there are also loiter, anti-loitering ordinances, which again are often, um, often unconstitutional and um, lead to kind of entryway into the criminal justice system. Um, and so, and what 
you know, what localities often do is they see homelessness as a problem that they don't want in a particular area. And so they, um, so in order to keep homelessness out of either their town or their city or out of a park or out of a particular part of a town, they will have, you know, they will have these ordinances. I mean, Philadelphia has it. Um, Delaware, um, part of a, part of an initiative statewide that's spearheaded by the Delaware ACLU, that's basically looking, that's basically preparing to take the state to court because they've got these panhandling ordinances that are on the books that, again, case law is pretty well settled that this is, um, that this is unconstitutional. And for the, um, you know, for the ACLU, they kind of see this as a slam dunk. Um, and yet, you know, the state persists on having it. The um, different localities um, keep putting these laws on the books, and it's this constant fight, and um, and it's this constant fight to to basic basically against the criminalization. Um, because again, you know, a lot of times it's kind of a cold-hearted approach. Also, a lot of times it's kind of a desperation kind of an approach where. Um, you know, where, where cities or towns feel like they need to do something and this is, and this is what they see as kind of the most expedient way to do this. It's also a lot of times discrimination. I mean, um, but, you know, homeless people, a lot of times they produce fear, they discomfort, hatred, um, just don't, people don't want them around and this is one way to get rid of them. Um, you know, there are alternatives and that's some of the, some of the work that I've done is pointing that out is to, um, is to getting people, um, getting people into services, getting people into housing and having that be a way to, you know, not only get people off the streets, but also to make it a lot less likely that people will then get reinvolved with the criminal justice system. And um, you know, it's a much it's a much more humane approach. Unfortunately, right now, it's also the road less taken. And you've mentioned housing uh, a couple of times, like in throughout the conversation and throughout your dialogue. Can you explain to us just a little bit about? you know, what are, why is it so difficult to secure housing when you are coming out of the system or what are the challenges there? So housing is a problem nationwide. I mean, there is an affordable, there is an affordable housing shortage. There's a severe housing affordable, affordable housing shortage. There's, um, you know, if, high level high levels of eviction eviction not surprisingly is tied to homelessness and so you kind of have that as a background and then you have you know people especially people coming out of incarceration who then basically get plopped back on the outside into this kind of housing mess where again most of the people will you know, if they won't have, you know, if they have other, they may have other issues in their lives, but they do have some kind of a support system and where they can get housing and then hopefully, you know, just kind of have some time, have some support to get housing on their own or to get like stable housing with family, with parents or with a spouse or, you know, with, with other um, mostly relatives and also to a lesser extent with friends. Um, but there's also a sizable number who don't. And so again, they're looking at high rents. They're looking at um, at a application system for, you know, for renting something that oftentimes ask, have you been convicted of anything? And if you do say yes, then that's going to exclude you. Um, you know, there's credit checks and other things that become much bigger obstacles. For, for people who are who are facing eviction I mean I'm sorry for people who have a um have a criminal record and you know especially a record of incarceration and so the kind of the barriers that are faced by a lot of people more generally become become higher um when you have a when you have a criminal record or when you are coming out of an in, an incarcerated situation um there's there's of course programs that um 
that help people? I mean, there's a whole, you know, there's a whole set of, there's a whole system of halfway houses and other kind of, you know, places that people can go that allow them to kind of trend that help them transition back where it's not as abrupt. Um, those services are not as common as there's more de more need more demand for those services, more need for those services than they're actually than there's actually available. Um, a lot of the good, you know, the the halfway houses and other um, kind of post-release programs that work are kind of small and hard to get into. And it's kind of the larger programs that are oftentimes the more troubled ones where you have, you know, facilities who are housing, you know, hundreds of people at a, at a time who, you know, where frankly are, you know, basically homeless shelters under another name at, at their worst. Um, and so, you know, that can be a troubled system. The research is not clear about how effective that is in preventing homelessness. And that's kind of a, that's a, a kind of a, a gap, kind of a hole that I've written a bit about is that as researchers, we really don't, we focus much more on recidivism. That's kind of the, the, the blinders that we have is when someone gets out of prison, what's going to help them avoid getting reincarcerated or, you know, what's what's going to keep them in the community. And that's an important outcome, but that's by no means the only outcome. And so we need to understand better what it takes to um, to keep somebody out of um, to keep some to keep somebody in housing. And also the research that's there is pretty, pretty clear that keeping people in housing is also going to help keep them out of prison again. And that's, you know, first of all, that's common sense. I mean, that goes under the category of, you know, you don't need research to tell you that, but research still does tell you that. And it also, it always, it generally helps when you can back that up with, with numbers, with studies, but um, you know, those people with housing are less likely to reoffend. So if you don't spend the money on housing, you're going to spend it, back in the criminal justice system on um, on you know essentially giving this person housing of a different nature and the less desirable nature. So um so I think what we need is not only to understand it better, but we also need kind of more uh, a bigger uh, a broader toolbox of different things that we can do. So again, just having just kind of residential you know, halfway houses and other residential facilities for people getting out, I think, is important. Um, there is some housing that's provided. Um, there's a there's a type of housing called permanent supportive housing, which is affordable housing. So it's housing where the rent is kind of is um, is adjusted to income to ability to pay. That also provides supportive services, and this is permanent housing. And it um, oftentimes it's used for people with disabilities, including um, you know, including mental health, um, mental illnesses, and that, um, you know, that where it's where, again, they'll, they'll work with service providers and the idea, and it's, it's very effective. It basically targets people who, you know, you will say, oh, these are the people who they've got serious problems. And even if you provide them housing, they're not going to know what to do with it if you give it to them. And turns out that, um, you have people who are, um, you know, who, you know, you kind of walk around or over on the sidewalks or people mumbling to themselves or, you know, a, a dependent on substances or things like that to where you say, even when you give people, um, even if you give that person an apartment, they're not going to know what to do with it and they'll be back out on the streets. Turns out that's wrong. Um, maybe another kind of Maybe I shouldn't say this on a podcast, but you know, you can say this person is, you know, this person is crazy, but they're not stupid. They know, you know, if you give them housing that they want, they're going to work to keep it. And they're also going to go to service. They're going to go to, you know, if they need mental health services, they're going to seek them out. If they're going to, if not stay sober, if they're going to reduce their the the amount of time they dr drink and drug to where it's you know, to where they can keep that housing they do. I mean, th this is a 
you know, just kind of very persistently homeless populations, if you provide permanent supportive housing to them, they have retention rates of around 85% is the usual number that you get, which is great. And so it's, so that's available. Unfortunately, it's kind of expensive to provide that housing. Um, a lot of times, again, you recoup a lot of those expenses because then they use less shelters. They use, they, they end up incarcerated less. They, you know, they use um, health and mental health services on an outpatient basis, not on a, um, um, not on an inpatient basis, which gets to be a lot cheaper. So you save some money that way, but it's still expensive. And there's, you know, there's a long waiting list for that kind of housing that, that would work well for a certain segment of the, of the formerly incarcerated population. Um, but also, you know, you don't need that extensive um, a, a type of housing for everybody that comes out. And so what we need is we need to get a better understanding of what works and can we package this kind of make it, you know, kind of a, a lighter touch of housing assistance. And so there's programs where, you know, you may have something where you put people in a community for and provide them supports for a year or two, and then they can kind of take it on their own. Uh, you know, some people, you just give them a housing subsidy and they can, they can take the rest. I mean, they don't necessarily have a disability. Um, also, just helping families out. Again, the main provider of housing support is not the government for this population. It's for family and people that are the closest to them. And so, you know, if you have a family who say are in poverty themselves and, you know, we're taking on one extra person is going to be a burden, you know, having some kind of arrangements where you can support the family for, you know, even a couple of hundred bucks a month is going to make a huge difference in letting them in letting them stay and you know that's that's an investment that's a lot cheaper than you know providing rental assistance or providing what is described as permanent supportive housing you know both which can run into the tens of thousands of dollars uh, per year and so it's money well spent. It's money that the little research is out there is effective, but you know, we have something somehow against, you know, we're not giving this to an agency. We are not controlling it. We're giving money to poor people. And a lot of times, you know, policymakers and the general public have unfortunately have a problem with that, where it just again can be a very cost-effective, kind of a more grassroots kind of a way to address this problem. And, and I think, and that's kind of the thing that I feel passionately about is we need to, again, broaden our toolbox, come up with more ideas, get more creative about things that we can do that can help this population out. And again, when they get helped, it's, you know, everybody benefits from it. And not only cost-wise, but, you know, it becomes, you know, then people become less likely to recidivate, less likely to commit crime. Um, a lot of times, and again, there's this approach called harm reduction, where, you know, the idea is people will reduce the amount that they, um, that they use substances and, and then to basically levels where they can function in society, where they become less of a threat, where they become, they, you know, they can get work and become more productive. And I think that's kind of, that ties it into kind of the much larger reentry vision is, and housing is, you know, really, and if you think about it, um, housing is a basic building block on that. It's really hard to do well if you don't have stable housing as a foundation for, um, you know, for a variety of other things. So, and we don't as a rule, we're not as a rule very aware of that, or we don't see housing like that and how much it ties in. And I mean, just, you know, think of yourself and where you would be if you constantly had to hustle for not only having a roof over your head, but also having a place to keep your things. If you have pets or if you have a family, you know, caring for them um, and, and just the kind of the peace of mind and the belong, you know, the sense of belonging of having a place, a neighborhood, a community to go back to and to feel a part of. 
so it seems like that we have what you've talked about so far in that is like there all are there are alternatives um alternative housing options but there are pros and cons to those as well we see in wait listing funding issues um you know i think i just go back to the idea of like there's so many people probably waiting to get there and then you also talked about they're they're not as accessible and there's not that many for the amount of people that we're trying to accommodate with housing as well as you talked about some other recommendations and suggestions for what we could be furthering to do to kind of move forward with addressing the issue of homelessness and the criminal justice system and all those different things and one of the things like while you were talking about that that I was just kind of thinking about too um, if we could go back a step because you talked about how like making these adjustments and um, addressing these things is beneficial for all of us. Um, I wanted you to, if you could expand a little bit and just talk to us about what is the impact of, you know, homelessness on the individual that's uh, experiencing it, as well as the impact on us as a community and a society. Um, when we constantly have people that are coming out of systems or in coming into homelessness, like how does that impact them and us? I, it's a good question in that looking at homelessness beyond just the person that is directly impacted by it, but that's a good place to start. I mean, um, again, when we talk about homelessness, it's, you know, first of all, you know, someone coming out of incarceration, which is kind of where we, where we started looking at this from. I mean, that's, you know, that's a large stigma in this society. That's one that we're kind of working on addressing, but unfortunately, I don't think as a society, we've gotten very far from that. Um, you know, we're just coming off several decades. And again, I talked about how homelessness has been kind of something that's been a fact of life for a decade, I mean, um, for uh, for several generations of of people now. Um, is, you know, same thing with mass incarceration. And, and I, you know, Mass incarceration was a phenomenon, I believe, started in the late 70s and kind of at the same time that the rise of homelessness occurred, where you got year after year, you get the numbers of people getting incarcerated being more and more and more. And we seem to have turned a corner in the last couple of years where those numbers are still by far and away the highest in the world, but they're going down. And that is obviously a good thing, but it's also something what that means is more and more people are getting released. And so, like you said, I mean, the the housing and other services for returning citizens is um, is not at the, you know, the access to it is difficult. There's a lot more people who need those services than there are services available. And so that creates a, that creates a problem. And it also creates, I mean, aside from just the the logistical parts of just being able to to economically and physically survive in um, when returning into the community. It also just you know just psychologically has a whole lot of challenges. Again, it's a question. You know, you're you've literally been banished for an amount of time, and you're coming back into the community, and homelessness then becomes a banishment all over again. It gives you another set of stigmas. It gives you, you know, where you're questioning, what is my place in society? And you're very clearly told you don't have a place here. Um, and also, it's, you know, you talk to people on the streets, and that's the best thing you can do. I mean, I, I get asked a lot of times whether or not should give money to panhandlers and typically what I ask what I say is that you know it doesn't you know make that much of a difference in somebody's lives if you give them a dollar or two what makes more of a difference is whether or not you give them some money if you take a minute or two and chat with them um about the weather or about you know Philadelphia Phillies are in the World Series go Phillies and um you know about talking to them about baseball or something like that and somehow just kind of acknowledge their humanity and makes a big difference because when you're homeless, you're on the streets, you're used to basically getting treated like you're invisible. And, you know, over time that takes a psychic toll as well. So it's a lot more than the miseries of being out on the street that we're, you know, that we typically see, which are also, 
you know, which are also serious, but there's, you know, there's, there's kind of a broader set of, you know, what does this mean for homeless people as citizens, for homeless people as members of the community, and, you know, the more you kind of push them away, the more they stay away, and then that's when, you know, that's when they also, you know, they're seen more as a threat, and sometimes not as much, not nearly as much as we imagine them to be, but sometimes you know, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, so, and that kind of brings it into, you know, what does that mean to us as a society? Um, you know, there's a famous quote by the, the Russian novelist um, Dostoevsky, who you know, basically said a measure of, you know, you can tell a lot about society by the by the conditions of their prison, and I think you, by the conditions of their prisons, and I think you can also say that about homelessness is you can, you know, you can tell a lot from a society by the extent to which we treat homeless, and if, you know, you see these encampments and um, people panhandling in the downtowns, and not only that, but then, you know, then people responding by putting more people in jail or, you know, they're just the, the number of hate crimes that are perpetrated against people who are homeless has been rising over the last couple of years as the numbers have been rising and, and also just any efforts to locate shelters or other services in particular neighborhoods pretty much invariably get met with just intense pushback, you know, just what's known as NIMBY, not in my backyard where you just get this organized community opposition to any kind of services, any kind of integration of people into the community. And, you know, it tells us how far we still have to go in terms of meaningfully, um, you know, re reintegrating people, whether it's people coming out of jails and prisons or whether it's people who are homeless, um, you know, back into a, back into a, a situation where they feel like they're part of a community. Um, so hope that answers your question. No, it does. And um, I think I agree with you. Like there's still a lot of work that we have to do. And kind of like you said, um, the way we treat uh, people that are in the homeless population, it does say a lot. And um, there's a lot more that we could be doing. And it really does impede, uh, like when you're specifically talking about people that are coming out of the system and trying to make their way, it really does impede that process of, you know, really trying to be successful um, when you can't just obtain the basic essentials of kind of what it you need to, to stand and survive out here. Um, Cause we all need a place to stay. Um, and uh, one thing that you were talking about is just like our perceptions or not, I don't even know necessarily if it's like perceptions, but like how we treat these individuals um, is not helping either. Well, we have to start, you know, extending that extra grace um, to kind of start seeing these people as human and um, providing more support there. So I do appreciate that because um, that it, great answer for that because I was just that's just something I was curious about and earlier you talked a little bit about you've already talked some about recommendations and like what should we be doing and alternatives um, but I, I guess like thinking um, more about policy um, practice um, you've talked a little bit about research too is there anything else that you would want to add for those different I guess layers of how we should be addressing this issue I mean, I think there's, you know, policy-wise, there's a lot that we can do. Um, you know, I think the recent, you know, there's just in response to COVID and, you know, the uh, the CARES Act first and then ARPA helped a lot in terms of making resources available on a scale that hasn't yet been that, you know, just kind of on an unprecedented scale. And that's helped with, you know, people kind of thinking bigger in terms of what can we do. So instead of providing, you know, in, in, instead of providing piecemeal assistance, just basically thinking on a project level rather than on a case by case level, um, just getting, you know, just 
just putting different ideas into practice and putting well-established um, well-established practices kind of on a larger scale. Um, that unfortunately, the tide kind of has rolled back, and now you know as we approach the election, there seems to be kind of a backlash where there's much more frustration about the fact that there are homeless people who are very visible in a lot of cities and just kind of the more calls for, you know, not only putting people in jail, but you know, in case of mental illness, putting people back into psychiatric hospitals are kind of going backwards and um, kind of towards more repressive policies, more isolating policies that historically have been shown not to work. Um, and so, that's kind of disheartening. So kind of in, you know, so there's both more opportunity and there's also just kind of more challenges that are facing us. So getting involved on that and also just, you know, getting involved on a more personal level, like I mentioned before, I mean, this, you know, any, you know, just smaller gestures or larger gestures where you're in that gets, gets you engaged who are, um, who are homeless is is important, and especially as an academic, I mean, we get, you know, we we kind of get either kidding or criticism depending on on where it's coming from about being in in ivory towers, and there's a degree of truth to that. I mean, I do a lot of my research is working with data in front of a computer screen, so that kind of sets me apart from people, and so I I'm aware that I need to constantly go out and and engage with people as well and um um and also now you know i've got a nine-year-old daughter and getting her involved you know just going to soup kitchens and helping out which is you know on that level is a good start and seeing that these people aren't boogeymen or boogie women and that's you know just getting to know and it's not so much handing out the food as much as it is just sitting down with them and chatting with them and um you know especially you know they don't get to interact with nine-year-old kids a whole lot because we are just very fearful and tend to keep you know tend to keep uh, kids away from that population and you know of course like with any strangers you exercise caution but you also don't take it to the extreme that that we often do here and um so you know, just kind of a lot of different levels that we can get involved, that we can get engaged. And I don't have specific suggestions, but I would say get engaged, get involved. Um, also, a lot of times, I imagine a lot of your listeners are also directly impacted by criminal justice issues. And I think a lot of times it's even if you want to avoid issues related to housing and homelessness, either yourself or a loved one or somebody in your community, it's really hard to avoid. You have to work very hard to, to pretend that doesn't exist. And, you know, so, you know, a lot of times you're going to be doing that anyway. And to those folks, you know, keep it up. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, there's, I think getting involved is like one of the most impactful things that we could do um mm -hmm. like you said sometimes just being there and just having those conversations um and just being that extra layer of support is enough um for some people because they don't regularly get that interaction probably um and i before we get off of here i want to ask you like one thing um and this is something i try to ask everybody um you know, we've talked about a lot on here. We've we went through a lot of different layers of homelessness and the criminal justice system. And if there is one thing that you would like the audience to kind of take from this conversation, what would it be? I think, again, I think a lot in the audience are already familiar with this space and probably even too familiar or more familiar than they want to be. So I think what I would take away is an awareness of how homelessness is not only separate, but also kind of overlaps with this. And so, you know, just being aware of that, not only as an issue, but also as, as people that, you know, this is some, I mean, just the important, I think the importance of housing 
when you're looking at this. I mean, reentry has so many different dimensions and housing, I would argue, is one of the basic ones. I mean, it's right up there with like food and a job and things that, you know, you're not going to make it if you're if you constantly have to worry about your housing. And um, and so acting out of that, again, I, I see a lot of times, I mean, you know, the focus is just kind of on recidivism, keeping people from reoffending and not to take anything away from that. But, you know, it's reentries a lot more dimensional than a lot more multidimensional than that. And, you know, being aware of that, um, you know, for those of you who are interested in following up more, you I do have a website. You can put my names together, Stephen Matro, put those together into one and then put .com at the end. And I do have a website where things that I've written are available and there's also contact information and you can get in touch with me. I have written some things where, uh, you know, I like to, I like to think I, I try and make them more accessible to a general audience because I think that's important, you know, to, to kind of take it out of the ivory tower and, and, um, you know, can make them available at, at no cost also. So, you know, by all means, get in touch with me if you, um, if you want to kind of, you know, kind of take the next step in becoming more familiar with these issues and seeing where it is to go. And, um, you know, housing matters. Um, housing is not a right, but I think it should be. And um, that's kind of a good place to stop. Yeah, and thank you for offering that. I think like there, there's so much power in just information and knowledge and um, awareness, um, and people may be interested in that. Is it okay if I list some of your articles in the description box yes, up and make them accessible there too? Absolutely. Okay, yes. Well, thank you um, for the conversation. I will tell you like More Life is like so appreciative. And I know I personally enjoyed the conversation of just learning about like the overlap um, between homelessness and the criminal justice system and all these other different things. So I just want to say thank you for coming on. Um, and if there's anything else that you want to say. Uh, thank you for having me, Ben Kibia. I've enjoyed this um, and I appreciate your, um, you know, appreciate your interest in the topic. And um, and being willing to listen to me kind of go on about it for for the the time that we've spent together, I've had a good time. Thanks. Oh no, thank you, and it's always a pleasure. And um, audience, as always, if you are interested in Dr. Matro and any of his additional research, I will make sure that his website and um, additional information is listed in the description box. And as always, if you enjoyed the episode, just follow us on Instagram at More Life The Reentry Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.